Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Threecast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We are here to talk about the comics coming out on October 12th, 2021, starting with Batman the Imposter, number one, written by Matson Tomlin, illustrated by Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, Zach, what do you think about this? So, for the first third of it, I thought it was exactly what I expected it to be which was just kind of from the description from like their early interviews which was just like kind of a very pretentious like fart sniffy take on batman that like seems really intellectual but is not like any different than anything else anyone has ever done and i i think like in that first third i'm pretty justified with that and in, in, in that assessment because it that is pretty much what it is all the stuff with leslie tompkins um which is pretty cringy but then i think the story kind of starts to take a turn that's a little bit more interesting not necessarily with the imposter batman i think i think that stuff is is like pretty um it's really not that interesting um and it's funny how that same story trope gets picked up in another book we're going to talk about later um (laughs) but mostly the part about like you know the the one percenters or you know the the rich people of gotham how batman negatively impacts them financially and how they might use their like power to like work against him i thought that was kind of like a a slightly interesting angle that doesn't really get picked up on very much um so i i was kind of i was kind of and not I wasn't really into it per se, but I did I did appreciate it just because it felt more fresh than anything else in the book. Um, and the Sorrentino art was good. There were some pages I thought that were better than others, but it, it, for the most part, it was it was you know Sorrentino is good. So yes, Sorrentino was quite good, and I think that he was quite good here. Um, there's a particular part, Zach, that you're talking about but i want to go a little bit deeper on there is a part about halfway through the book where the detective character whose name i've already forgot detective wong perhaps yeah um where she basically says could batman be a cover-up for corporate espionage yeah like when, when she's talking about all of the different companies that have had um you know, uh, buildings destroyed or whatever it is. Like, is is Batman the the like the rodeo clown essentially distracting people while somebody else, Bruce Wayne or otherwise, is sort of taking down all these corporations? I think that's a really interesting idea, and yeah. I've never really heard that explored before. And I would read that comic mm-hmm. way more readily than I would read this comic even though I think the comic looks very good. And I think, like you said, Zach, it is, it's, it's absolutely better than I thought it was going to be based on the solicits and the covers. I, I, I'm not going to say I, I enjoyed this necessarily, but I, that's not the, that's not the, I, I did enjoy it. I, it was fine. I, uh, I think the idea of the imposter Batman, the idea of the corporate espionage, all that is, is something different than we've got in a Batman book in a long time. So I'm I'm fine with that stuff. 
Vince, what'd you think? Man, how is it that we, we don't talk about this at all. And yet we come up with like basically the exact same take on it. <laughs> this happens so often. Like I literally have in my notes here that the corporate espionage, rich people of Gotham angle is the most interesting thing about this book. And it's like one really original idea that's worth exploring. Um, you know, which is exactly what you guys said. And it's true. Like, imagine if they did some kind of like, you know, you know, they want to, they, they pitch this as like a gritty book or something like, I, I, I think, I think Mattson Tomlin even gave an interview where he was like, can you imagine if Batman were a real guy? Yep. <laughs> like all of our minds were supposed to be blown, you know, <laughs> but, but no, really like, like if you're going to do that, I mean, it's been done a hundred times, but if you're going to do that, imagine doing like an actually like gritty 70s style uh conspiracy thriller or whatever like the parallax view or whatever where this detective and apparently bruce wayne because at the end she's coming knocking to team up with 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 bruce i don't know if she's not going to team up or just interview him she's 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 sort of interviewing all the rich people in gotham oh yeah i guess so i guess i just assume a team up because like now bruce is going to be like hmm i better right get ahead sure, get ahead sure. of this or whatever you yeah. know well there was like an interesting bit in there where like specifically it mentioned like a wayne tower got yes blown up yeah which reads like it happened like way before but in the context of the story it's like okay bruce is blowing up his shit too to cover his tracks right you yes. know yeah so so regardless like if if they committed to that idea i think that would make for a a, a fascinating uh, comic and you know it's not necessarily the writers or the creators or whatever that don't have the patience for a story like that but I but I almost think like because that's not what's expected of a book at DC Comics that's not what we're going to get you know even if they are interested in that idea that's not the route that the creators are going to go down because it's not the thing that pitch it that sells a book to DC right um so we'll see. This book could go two ways. It could go down that rabbit hole further. And I, I think that would be really fascinating. I think there's st- that is where there's stuff that we've never seen before with Batman. That that, But the imposter thing, which is the title of the book. So it's probably more likely it's going to go down this road, right? That we've seen a hundred times and does nothing for me. Um, what else, can I can I interject here for one second? Yeah, of course. No. I think. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. I think that while we have seen the imposter thing a lot of times, I think setting the imposter scenario early in Batman's career makes it very different. Just in ter- just, just just from a storytelling perspective, like for instance, if if in comic book storyline 20 years in Batman starts killing people, there's enough of a backlog of wait a minute, we've seen him for years, this isn't what he does. Right. Versus if people don't really know the Batman's M.O. for his kind. Right. If, if people don't know his M.O., they, they're not going to think it's an impo- They're not going to... Red flags won't be raised because of that. So I, I, I'm not saying it's, it's the most original idea. I think it's just it's slightly more interesting to put it at this point in his career than as like the well-established Batman. Yeah, it, I mean, comparatively, yes. Sorry, go uh, ahead, Zach. No, it's. I was just gonna say you're. You know, talking about this being early in his career, I, I definitely think you're right. 
about that but it is also kind of interesting about some of the like world building or like scene setting that is done in this one issue where we kind of learned you know that um gordon has already been i don't think i don't think he was commissioner but i think i think they say he was like He's police captain. chief or something yeah captain Cap yeah and he you know he, they already went through the thing of him allying with batman and it went really poorly for him yeah. and he's kind of been ousted and all of that has happened, you know, before this book, which to me is actually pretty interesting as well. Yes. Yeah. That's a cool detail too. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there are some cool details in this book. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. I was just saying it's, it sounds like we're all pleasantly surprised by this book in different parts. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not, not overall necessarily, but I think that there are, there are pleasantly interesting things throughout it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think overall is a is a tough sell for me with any Bruce Wayne Batman title at this point. I'm so cynical about it, you know. Like, mm -hmm. especially when you say like, in, every time they pitch a new Bruce Wayne Batman twist or whatever, I always roll my eyes. I, the, the poor writers when they're like, you know, what if again, like, what if he was a real guy or we're telling an untold story from year two or whatever, right. you know, this is Robin's first adventure with bat. It's like, okay, <laughs> we've seen this a million times. I, I cannot be swayed very easily by this stuff. Um, so I think the best you're going to get out of me with a book like this, and I'm admitting my bias here is that I found a lot of little things to like while reading this. And it made overall, it made the experience of reading it more enjoyable than one would expect from a Bruce Wayne Batman story at this point. And, and a couple of the other things I wanted to mention along those lines um, was I actually liked the, the rat catcher bit as well. Me too. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. I did enjoy that as well. Yeah. Rat, rat catcher as this like uh, sad, sympathetic outcast. It, it almost reminded me of like a character from a Jeff Lemire Yes. Uh, slice of life book or something like that you know just this like sad pathetic uh, uh scraggly dude um and, and the the writing really worked there too um also this idea that batman is leaving these zip lines across the city is just it's a great visual idea that we didn't actually get to see visually <laughs> they talk about right, it a few right. times and I, I think like oh yeah that's a good like if there were a real Batman, he would just be leaving shit everywhere he goes. And right, like, right. Yeah, being, like the being motorcycles. The motorcycles and... too. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there were lots of little bits that I that I found charming about this. Yeah, uh, and in some ways, it is. What if Batman was just a dude? You know? Yeah, yeah, like, right. A, a rich, a rich dude. Yeah, a rich um, dude. I don't know if either of you guys got this. Um, look at look at page thirty five of our review copy. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, okay. Right now. I'm pulling it up now. Describe it for me in excruciating details. Well, okay. at the bottom of the page, there's a close-up on an unmasked Bruce, and I, I feel like Sorrentino is at least somewhat basing this on the Robert Pattinson. Yes, oh, 100%, 100%, yes. Yeah. I, the whole book kind of feels like that, too. Like, like didn't you guys think... I, I thought that the whole way through, like, yeah, the uniform doesn't look exactly like the Pattinson one, but it's that similar like homespun like yes. it looks like hockey pads the the little um the little uh they're not really batterings they look like little fidget spinners that like go around yeah. his finger mm -hmm. 
looked very like very homemade garage level Batman stuff. It's basically Aronofsky's pitch for Batman, which is also also happens to be the Matt Reeves one that we're getting kind of. Um, so that, but, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. That Yeah, go ahead. So there's one detail that I think I may be reading too much into, but I really like it if it's if it's legit. Um, again, uh, Zach has it open. So page 21 of our review copy. Okay. It's, there's a scene where Bruce and Leslie are talking about she wants him to sign this confidentiality agreement, basically sign this paperwork to make her his doctor so that they can have confidential conversations. Yeah. And if you look at the signature that he does, it looks like a little kid's signature. <laughs> yeah. and, and like, but here's the thing. I think that's intentional. I think they're trying to show that Bruce Wayne is somebody who never had to like, like he never grew up really. Or, yeah. you know, like, he, yeah, like, like all of us have to sign mortgage papers and checks and doctor's bills and stuff. And he probably has a stamp. Like it, it just shows that he's somebody who never had to develop a signature because he's basically just a spoiled rich kid still. And yeah. so I don't know if that's an intentional thing or not, but I I saw that. that oh, that's actually a really nice touch to the character. I mean, it. I feel like it has to be because it's so intentionally like childlike, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. just a scribble really mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but not like an adult scribble i say right, that yeah, my yeah. signature is like yeah my signature is a scribble so yeah. is mine but yeah but like yeah zach you're scribbling your your big pharma name everywhere sure. i mean yeah i had to it's funny to look at like things that i signed like right you know going into pharmacy school and then like signing prescriptions <laughs> for like or my name on like prescription stuff for years and yeah. it's it's a lot more swoopy and loopy with yeah. you can barely it's basically a a big cursive z and then some squiggly lines after it. <laughs> well you know it like a grown-up ass signature like I, it's, I, hard, I, it's harder for me to forge to get my oxy so. <laughs> yeah what i was gonna say is i would expect nothing less from the kanye guy to keep it loopy so <laughs> yeah it is, it is very loopy oh man silver surfer in the flesh over here exactly uh-huh. all right um, uh, anything else to add about this book one one last thing because I didn't say much about the art and and you know wh- what you guys said uh, I'll just kind of echo it but um uh, you know is this top Sorrentino maybe not but there are certain pages where it really is I think some of these double page spreads where it's obvious that Sorrentino's going for uh, not only uh, decent looking interiors but an actual like panel structure that's interesting and and, and a layout that's like po- like poster worthy you know mm-hmm. there's, there's almost a, like some jh williams yes, absolutely designs yeah there's one very early on where it's a double page spread and it's got like bats flying across the the mm-hmm. two pages with bruce perched on the gargoyle or whatever and then some of the bats turn into panels that have little yes. story beats in them and it's such a beautiful page when Sorrentino does a page like that, which I would say maybe there's maybe there's like five instances of that. There's like another one I can think of where uh, like Bruce has a it's like a reverse silhouette or something like that, where Bruce is standing again, standing on a gargoyle and the gargoyle and him are, are white. completely white. Yeah. And then the rest of the city is sprawled out ahead of him. When Sorrentino is doing stuff like that, you can really see the the, the effort and the skill. And that's not to say the rest of the book's not good, but it is just the typical Sorrentino, like 
he's given a lot of talking heads to do. And, you know, I don't think that's not, it's not that he's bad at that. It's just that that's not necessarily what I want to see from Sorrentino, you know? Yeah. I'll also say though, he couldn't do a whole book of those spreads. Like that wouldn't be good either. No, absolutely not. That's yeah. You're totally right. The the way it's employed here is really nice. Also, I'll say it's interesting. Jordy Belair is coloring him here, and I'm I'm just way more uh, used to seeing Sorrentino with uh, Maiolo colors, mm-hmm. hmm. and, and Belair's palette is a lot more muted. Like there's still some, there's still a lot of color to it, um, but generally it's it, it's not quite as like bright and vibrant, which is something that I like associate with Sorrentino's art because of his collaborations with Maiolo so often. What's interesting mm-hmm. is that the last couple of Sorrentino books were um, Gideon Falls at Image, mm-hmm. and also now he's doing Primeval or Primordial rather at Image, and both of those are Dave Stewart coloring him. Interesting. I've not I've not read those. So uh, Gideon Falls is quite good. I in the yeah. first I think only the first issue of Primordial is out, but that also is quite good. And those are both Lemire Sorrentino joints. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely worth checking out. Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I am surprised and pleased by how much we had to say about this. If you had told me we would spend, you know, 20 minutes talking about this book, I would never have believed you before we actually read it. So <laughs> I'm glad it's better. I'm glad it's more interesting than we thought it was going to be. It's, it's a good outing for a black label book. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. especially a, a Batman black label book. I should clarify because like those are just dime a dozen. Like so by the numbers i feel like but this one actually yeah did something interesting yeah mm-hmm. well there, there's no joker and there's no harley sure so that's that's a big help <laughs> yet yes <laughs> excellent point all right well let's move over to batman urban legends number eight this is a fear state tie-in issue there's four stories in here the first one is called disinformation campaign and it's a batwoman and cassandra kane story Written by Alyssa Wong, illustrated by Vasco uh, Georgiev. Georgiev, God damn it, I'm sorry. Gorgiev, I'm however it's pronounced. I'm sorry. Georgiev. Georgiev, perhaps. Anyway, uh, I want to leave just one. I want to put sort of one thought out there and have you guys react to it. I think this is the best Batwoman story in a long time. I can get behind that, yeah. I think it is one of the only Batwoman stories in a long time. That's well, also like, true. She had that Rebirth series that, um, which is pretty, was mi- which was pretty middling. Yeah, was that Rebirth or was that? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Rebirth. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember really famously saying in the first issue that it felt like it could be one of the defining Batwoman runs and then <laughs> another Trinity moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the problem with it is that it regurgitated way too much of of. Kate Kane's story that we've already, you know, Mm -hmm. this feels like it. Oh God. And I'm going to regret saying this too, but this feels like it's maybe starting to push it forward. Maybe. I don't know. I already already regret say, I already regret saying that it's, it it does, but it's so hard because again, like it starts off with the like Kate and Renee Montoya angle of like, Oh, we used to date, but now we're on the outs, you know, like, right. which I feel like is every, every Kate Kane story ever. Um, uh-huh. But the stuff with their sister felt a little bit more 
like you said, like progressing the story a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it is kind of still like delving back into stories that have already been told, it's doing it in kind of a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, and her her working with Cass is really cool. Um, I feel like this is one of the best Fear State tie-ins we've read so far. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that bar is not very high, but right. It's um, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, for, I I enjoyed that aspect of it quite a bit. Um, the art is good. Yes. Yeah, the art's very good. I I love this cartoony style. Yeah, it it almost it it reminds me a little bit of Jorge Jimenez's work. It's not quite as detailed, but it has a, like a similar fluidity to it. Yeah, there's a there's a little Marcus Toe in there. Yeah, I can see I can that, see that sure. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. I I like. I pretty I I generally like everything that this story's doing. I like the pair up. I like the uh the plot mostly i talked about you know the imposter thing showing up in this with um the the seer putting out fake footage of cast killing people um very similar um but yeah i thought it was good yeah i i thought that the um i liked the relationship between kate and cast i feel we haven't seen that much and I thought that that was a I thought it was it was a nice example of uh, how should I put this? I think sometimes the Bat family or just like just comic characters in general are written either like everybody is a stranger to one another or everybody is a best friend to somebody else. And this was written like a coworker. like there's a coworker you like, but you don't really hang out with that often. And the way they were talking, there was clearly an affinity for one another, but it didn't feel overly introductory nor did it feel overly familiar i thought it was it had a nice balance of that stuff um and i also like the idea of the sister sort of using red alice as a means to get help for them i thought that was an interesting approach to take even if we've seen that story not from this character but we've seen that story a hundred times before um, overall, I thought this is a pretty good a pretty good entry into the urban legends, uh, you know, canon here. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Vincey? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Oh, this is this is where Zach alluded to it earlier. This is where uh, there's like a a Batgirl figure murdering people, or at least somebody thinks it's Batgirl murdering people, and. Uh, that's what Zach was talking about when the we were talking about imposter and how there's like a shared plot point between the two yeah. books. So the second story is a Professor Pig story. It's called Little Pig, Little Pig, written and illustrated by Christian Ward. And um, I only have two comments on this, which is that it looks great. And this is some dime store Tom King shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. Nothing more needs to be said. Uh, I'll just I'll dissent on the art, but that's all I'll say. Oh, about it. oh, oh, you you aren't a Christian Ward fan? No, I don't. It's it. I don't. I don't. I no. I don't. I don't even want to say what I think out of the interest of just being polite. So, too fucked up, too raw. Uh, I just I always hate the coloring. 
Oh, and really? I like the yes. coloring. No, it looks it looks like it's doing a thing without any intent. Like it looks like God. See, I don't want to be mean. It looks like someone vomited up color on on the page with without any order to it. I don't think it it I've you know we've seen this same sort of uh, color scheme employed across like let's say future state or whatever, and there it was done with intent. And I, I always get it. And with Christian Ward, I just never do. It just seems random to me. I I can see that. I think I think That's a generous a reading yeah. of it is that it's almost kind of like Fraser Irving-esque, but it I, I do agree it feels less um intentional mm -hmm. than I think Irving's stuff usually is. You know, it's you Irving stuff is usually drenched in like one or two colors, whereas this, this is kind of almost like rainbow-esque in some places mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i i like it but i think that's a fair critique yeah it's just a personal taste thing you know like yeah. i don't I, you know i i understand i'm probably in the minority there but i've just never been big on it i get it i mean i i don't i don't necessarily agree but i understand where you're coming from with that. you can still Ooh. be on the show it's fine oh great <laughs> Yes, I thought I, I thought I was gonna get out with that. Nope, <laughs> you're stuck here forever. All right, moving over to Azriel in Dark Knight of the Soul. Of course, it's Dark Knight of the Soul, written by Dan uh... Waters, illustrated by Nicola C. I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that last name because I will just butcher the fuck out of it. Um, Sisme uh, Sija, sure, Sisme Sia. Sure. Uh, it's hilarious to me that this references Justice League Odyssey. <laughs> just want to make that known. That wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a thousand years ago that uh -huh. Azrael was in space, and he mentions that here. Um, little, little Dan Waters hat tip to Dan Abnett. Yes. Yes. Um, I thought this was a pretty good installment, especially because I think Nicola's art looks incredibly cool here. I thought this was a really, really good. The way that she draws Asriel in action is this very like I don't even know how to describe it. He, all of the lines sort of blur together, and like when he's moving, he moves almost like the Flash moves in visually. It's just a really cool little approach. I thought this was a visually a, a gorgeous, gorgeous issue, and I thought. That while the story was maybe a little bit predictable, the art carried it above and beyond. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um, maybe it's just like my my background and my cynicism, but like anytime there's like overtly heavy religious dialogue, I I it. it it often comes off very cringy to me and there some of this i thought was like a little cringy but it wasn't too bad and it felt like a believable aspect of the character you know um and like at the end where he is kind of like faced with what seems to be a legit resurrection he starts going into like end times mode which was kind of interesting Yeah, I agree with that. 
Vince? Yeah, I, I think you said mostly what I wanted to say. Um, I, I like the, yeah, the, the style is very manga-esque. I don't know if that's, <laughs> I feel like I use that a lot, but it, it's fitting, right? It's like, very hyper-realized. Like there's a, there's a specific panel with like Asriel standing up and like holding a guy like up in the air by his throat and he 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 just looks yeah i don't again i don't know if like manga is the right term but he just his proportions are a little weird but they're not like bad you know like he, he has like very thin ankles <laughs> um, yeah like his, his legs just like taper down to points um right it's it, cool <laughs> yes it it reminds me of the it, it reminds me of a specific anime or manga that i'm just not thinking of especially the the legs uh, phenomenon that you're talking about yeah i wish i could remember what it was oh i don't know if it's like paprika or something like that i just i just know i've seen that effect before in the interest of uh it, it was probably some like hentai that you watched <laughs> once or something god zach come on he watches all of his hentai more than once <laughs> He would remember the title. Exactly. The one that started it all. <laughs> wow. Wow. Call back to stuff before the show from weeks ago. <sighs> yeah. Let's uh move on to the outsiders. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Let's move on to the outsiders. The story is called The Fearful. Written by Brandon Thomas, illustrated by uh, C.N. Tormi. First of all, I love this idea of the outsiders having like a fifth member who comes and goes all the time. And then we get that member to be Frankenstein. Yes. I mean, my cup runneth over. That's just fantastic. <laughs> this uh, this story was so good. It was really dumb in, a, in some ways. It, it's like good in the way that it just throws a lot of cool ideas together and, and like it's kind of greater than the sum of its parts in that way but it's like it's both a sequel to future state outsiders which we all liked a lot and kind of a follow-up to brian edward hills outsiders as well mm -hmm. because of the time travel aspect and i i thought it worked all the way through i really liked it a lot it was interesting to see um, Lion Cat from Saga show up as like a bulked up version of Tikal. Yeah. <laughs> no, th th this is this is wonderful. This is dumb comic booking at its greatest. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, Duke has a demon arm <laughs> and a lightning sword and he throws it back in time to himself. <laughs> I'm um, I'm I'm hoping Aquaman the becoming is the beginning of this, but DC really needs to to turn Brandon Thomas loose. I think yeah. on on yes. to go nutty on some of these books because I I with the one or two exceptions, I've really loved everything he's done at DC so far. But it's all been like um, on the fringe, on the fringe anthology stuff, Future State, a couple things um mostly really good and i i, I just think like 
it's time to give him a, a big book. And, and maybe Aquaman the Becoming is that. Maybe that's the beginning of something that is going to spin out a little more. But um, yeah, he, he's, cool I want to see more. Be the, be the Aquaman guy. Be, now I want him to do Demon Knights. Oh. To bring Demon Knights back. Dude, don't do do it. Oh, dude. <laughs> dude, you're getting me too uh, <laughs> sprung here. <laughs> The only part of this that isn't good, the only part of it, is that we get another fucking explanation of what the fear state is. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like, you know, if they're going to keep going back to it, almost the further they get away from the original event, they're going to have to ex- keep explaining even more. Like, hey, remember this? <laughs> All right. Here's here's its deal again. You know? I feel like they need uh, to have, like, a... um a word that they can just print and just say like explanation. And there's a little re- editor's box that just says like, this is where they explained fear state for the 50th time. They because need we- to have, Oh, sorry. I was because we, we've all heard this so many times now. Yes. They need to have the, the title page that has the little paragraph that explains what recently happened in yes. these books. Yeah. They, they got rid of that uh, presumably because of like financials or whatever, but, I will write them. You pay me a pay me a pittance, and I will write them. DC. I I thought they specifically didn't do them because Marvel does them. Is that right? I seem to remember that being a thing. <sighs> okay. Certainly, whoever had that idea is fired now, right? Because because Bendis was the only one allowed to do them after uh-huh. he came over from Marvel. You remember he would put them at the beginning. He would like get around it by doing it on like Clark's computer at the Daily Planet or yes, something, yes. right? Um, and I was just like, okay, I'll come over as long as I can do the the recaps at the beginning <laughs> of the issues. The um the best use of that in modern comics was in the Kieran Gillen uh, journey into mystery. Mm. Those like, every every first issue had a full page of text, but it didn't read like it was a. Uh, it didn't really have a wall of text. It was used very cleverly. Did you guys see that Kieran Gillen's probably joining the Xbox? Really? Yeah. It got, it got, it very humorously got sleuthed out because he, he, uh, I think like one of the X writers posted a picture of a, um, like a Zoom meeting and two of the people were scribbled out, but you could see it. Uh, on the side there was a door that is the same door that Kieran Gillen was sitting in front of when he did another interview like very close <laughs> proximity so like bleeding cool sleuth out that yeah Kieran Gillen was probably on that Zoom meeting oh my god wow oh my god but, uh, I think he's going to do a Sinister book Mr. Sinister I'm putting that oh, out there on the that'd internet. be good actually the Eternals are going to be X-Men now Oh, like how the humans were the new X-Men before. Yeah. Wouldn't that be so fun? This is not what's going to happen, but wouldn't it be so funny if the MCU was like, yeah, we can't do the X-Men because <laughs> so the Eternals are going to be the X-Men. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very funny. It would be. I, I'm pretty sure the Internet would shut down the next day. Twitter would be unreadable. Well, you aren't on Twitter. So why do you care? I'm not on Twitter. Farmers only would also be unreadable. Okay. Good save. 
Wink. <laughs> oh. All right, let's let's take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna have to get Zach a clean pair of shorts. We're gonna talk about Superman: The Authority number four. <laughs> so stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shows on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back to talk about Superman and the Authority number four, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Michael Janine. I'm going to let you guys do the majority of the talking here. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this, but I know that you guys had religious experiences reading I, this comic. I don't think I should go first on this. Okay, we'll have Vince go first. I'm just going to slob. Uh, but I, I mean, I, you should go first then. I want to be able to just say everything Zach just said. Uh, but that uh, we always do that. Let me do that. You can go first. Okay, but, but I do have a question first though. So I I was under the impression when we started this that this was going to thematically tie into the action comic stuff that's coming at the war world stuff. But it appears this is actually a prelude, a prelude to the action comics run. It would seem that way. But this is definitely not the Superman from action comics. Well, at the end of it, it is. He just still has his gray hair somehow. <laughs> right, right. He's going to have gray hair in the next issue. It's weird, but it's it doesn't weird. matter. No, but I was gonna say that is that is quite literally the only thing that I didn't. I don't want to say I didn't like it. It just I was curious about sort of what it meant. I'm I am also curious. Again, one day, the the five G Infinite Frontier tell all is gonna happen. When ten years from now, when Brian does his, <laughs> he starts. <laughs> harassing creators for interviews about this era no you harassing don't. creators for you ask nicely I, I am providing i think pretty damn good i've you never are. seen a lot of the stuff that i've gotten on these people in print before don't You're give doing, me shit i can give you shit because i love you and i care about you and thank you zach we only give each other shit about that, everything that, that is that is true also but but 10 years from now when you start doing the expose on this era of dc we'll finally find out what was going on behind the scenes God, if i um, if i'm still the editor of multiversity in 10 years something's <laughs> gone very right or very wrong in my life sure sure um yeah i believe that this had to have been something else that was repurposed into something else but it doesn't matter because I think that this is like, if this is the last thing that Morrison ever does for DC, which I have a stupid, dumb theory that it's not, but if it is, it's not, it's not, if it is, they have gone out, I think on the, in the best possible way. Absolutely. I, I think that this is like, as a capstone to their work on just really Superman in general, this is like the best way to do it. This like riffs on some action comic stuff. It riffs on some final crisis stuff. 
it even in some ways i think this series as a whole is kind of like done some all-star superman stuff too um it kind of feels like this coalescence of everything that morrison has done on superman Mm -hmm. in just a really fun way um but just talking about this issue in particular i really liked um i really liked the stuff with lois and clark i liked the big fight with the authority members and this other group that has like a white supremacist and and, and then a, a guy who uh what's his name a uh, cold cast who is a former member of the elite yeah and he, is, and he is black and they like comment on the like the optics of that and you know whether or not this is a cancelable offense um <laughs> which is just all handled like it could be really on the nose and cringy but it's the dialogue is so fun and snappy it's it's very enjoyable um and then i, w- I want to talk about the epilogue but I'll, I'll wait until everyone has kind of said their piece vince uh, yeah um I think I I love the way Morrison returns to some early Superman ideas that they hadn't really worked with before thinking about like um, the ultra humanite, you know, which it was already been, that's already been running through this series, but Morrison really lays it all out there. How this, you know, before Superman was only dealing with petty crooks and gang members and things like that. And now, and you know, I was your first, super foe or whatever and 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 what that means and using some silver age concepts as well so like ultra humanite was golden age they moved to the silver age by talking a little bit about uh like brainiac and the bottle city of candor and lois uses a k laser of white kryptonite um and yeah that's all very silver agey they even call the fortress of solitude fort superman which um as far as i know that's what it was referred to as in the silver age until some future silver age issue i think call ended up calling it the fortress of solitude but but in the beginning it was just called fort superman and he opened it with a giant comically large key key. Yeah, yeah 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 and so just I love how Morrison just plays with that stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's very playful, which is what I want out of comics. Zach already mentioned kind of the, the sort of minor social commentary that he's doing with these villains or they're doing, sorry. Um, uh, and then, but the thing that I really didn't expect, and we'll get to that with the epilogue and everything is how much Morrison uh plants for the potential future i mean you wouldn't blame them if after all these years they were like bitter didn't really want to play ball you know and and i'm thinking of like i'm thinking of like tomasi when he left batman or Batman and Robin or whatever, or detective or whatever it was i think it was detective detective yeah yeah because he uh I don't remember who took over, but he was Tamaki. Oh, okay. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And the last issue of that felt so bitter. And I don't know if I was reading a little into it too much, but 
it really left a sour taste on Tomasi's uh, run on Batman throughout the years with the, with the way that that ended. And uh, this, this I don't think is bitter at all. You know, this is fun, playful, expansive. Um, Morrison knows exactly how to play with the toys, put them back, leave some crumbs for other people. It's, it's really delightful to watch. Yeah, there, there is so much potential story packed into this. Like, first of all, there's a lot of actual story packed into this, but there's also so much potential story packed into this. I mean, you could almost use this as the like Rosetta Stone for the next five years of Superman stories. There's there's that much just sort of built into the to the 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 different character interactions between the candor stuff and everything else it just it, it's this nesting doll of story ideas and i, I it's great i i i thoroughly enjoy this the, and and my problem with the series going back was always that i just felt that it shouldn't have taken this long to get us this this type of story to me the first two issues were fun but just not they they just they just didn't move things along fast enough for my tastes. And so the last two issues have been so, so fun and so enjoyable. And I just want more of this right now forever. Can I can I talk a little bit about the epilogue? Yeah, please. Go off King. Also first I wanted to talk about I wanted to mention how good the um so you know the opening thing i think is actually from an interview where uh morrison referenced like the three different versions of camelot or something or maybe it was just two versions i don't know he he referenced like king arthur's camelot and that shows up in this with like the table the actual round table but then jfk's camelot which i you know i think that nowadays like the idealizing of that era is kind of a little passe a little cringy and and dwelling on that you know it's 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 just more complicated than that and we get a really great bit with manchester black saying you know uh, i'm just saying jfk was a drug-addled lecher you miss a lot when you only look for the good in people yeah um and and just like and like superman's response to that is I just appreciate the nuance there, you know, like Morrison didn't have to revisit that again. And it's almost kind of like a throwaway line here at the end of the issue, but I, I really appreciated that. Um, Then we get into the really good stuff where um, Superman opens up a Tesseract um, and explains that when the final barrier was breached during the metal wars, which I assume is, um, (laughs) dark knights metal yes, and yes and yeah that the metal wars that's just the thing we're saying now i um, love that they yes i love that they use a term that they that that event has never been called <laughs> but it's yeah it's just that's this, just this is like how george thing. lucas sometimes calls it the 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 clone war and sometimes it's the clone wars <laughs> and there's just no discernible <laughs> difference between them but there's different terms used all the time yeah that, it's, that's this it's very good he's um, a far funnier character than we've ever had <laughs> um he he comes across something called the wall 
Uh, and he says, in times of cosmic upheaval, the so-called unifriend, a mysterious hand of fire, is said to spell out communication directly from the source of creation. Yep. <laughs> For the last 11 days, it's been writing the same thing over and over. Then we cut away to just a big single page spread of light ray is. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Dude, with the yeah. with the same like digital like mouse pointer hand that was used <laughs> in Final Crisis. Yes, yes. Which which itself is a reference back to some of course new, to the Kirby stuff. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, so good. And yeah. and my thing is Morrison could never touch this again. Some other creator could come in and do this, or this is Final Crisis too, and we're getting the Fifth World. <laughs> well we have we have been saying on this show that we are getting the fifth world yeah and why is like i just keep thinking like why is this leah nelson light ray i mean her name was light ray before but like now clearly being wrapped up in new gods type stuff it feels very intentional <laughs> it feels very intentional and of course, Omac's there as well. So you know, but not not the Omac we know, just the new Omac. Um, again, like, it, yeah, yes. This whole time, I'm thinking like, this is legacy. This is like Kirby legacy characters that we haven't seen before, or that are being repurposed in a different way to create the fifth world. I'm, I'm. I, I've been thinking that. I, I think that's where this is going. I don't know that Morrison is going to be the one to do it, you know, because I, do, I don't believe they're done at DC forever, but I do believe they're done at DC for the foreseeable future. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. How many times have we heard that Morrison has done at DC? Sure. And I, I feel mean, like we, we heard it before this series even came out. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. the, the, the Green yeah. Lantern was going to be the last thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. I just feel like that, first of all, that is overstated. I also feel like I know Morrison and DiDio had a friendly relationship. And so I could see there being a little bit of coldness now because DiDio is out. But I also think if you went to Morrison's house and said, hey, here's a dump truck full of money. You want to write the fifth world? They'd be in very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't know if we're ever going to get there, but. Well, I see, when I say we have like time, like we know that Williamson is doing stuff into next year. He said that there's going to be almost kind of like a triptych of stories, right? Yes. Um, which we know the second part. We don't know the third. There's indications that Bendis is maybe brewing some kind of event thing um you know it could be a few years or you know a couple years maybe before it would even be time for morrison to come back and work on this stuff Mm -hmm. my fear with that is um uh, a guy i know from when i was in college writes about professional wrestling on the internet and one of the things he always says is that you can't plan too far in advance because people get injured shit happens and so if you have a good idea do it now because you may never get that chance again. Right. And I feel like if you look at the landscape of DC right now and you looked at where it was supposed to be two years ago, we're nowhere near where the plan was for two years ago. So if sure. you're saying like there's all these things that are going to happen and then Morrison's going to come back, 
I don't know that you can ever plan for that. So if you want to do the fifth world and Morrison wants to do it, you do it now. Well, so here's, so my thing is, I think fifth world is happening in some form. I don't think Morrison's going to be the one to do it. I think this is Morrison playing ball and saying, you can take this idea I had back in final crisis or whenever. And, you know, I'm going to set it up for you here in this book. Go nuts. It's the same reason to me that they consulted Morrison on some of the stuff for future state and for the post future state Superman landscape. I feel like all of that stuff is we're going to, we're going to go to Morrison. Hopefully we, we want to use their stuff. We want to use their stories. We want to make DC into a very Morrisonian vision again. Hopefully they'll help us. And then we're going to, I think they're going to do it without them, you know? Um, but I think this is almost like the blessing, right? Sure. I can see that. Sure. That, I can see that's that too, what I yeah. see. And that's, yeah, that's fair. I, I think that that would be fine as well. You know, it may not be as good as if Morrison did it themselves. It really depends on who the, you know, who the creator is. I don't know. I, I sometimes think that we have not explored. So I, let me back up here. I feel like there were there was a period of time where Morrison was the de facto like head of the Bat books or the de facto head of the Super books or doing, you know, Final Crisis or One Million. But Morrison was never like the Jeff Johns of D.C., where somebody was kind of leaving their fingerprints all over everything, even if they weren't writing it, their fingerprints were felt. And I would, I wonder what DC would look like if Morrison were the showrunner type figure where they're not writing everything, but they're just sort of guiding where everything is going. And I think that maybe letting other people take the Morrisonian ideas would make Morrison's work a little more accessible to those who will say their work is too obtuse or not um, not easily digestible enough. That's not me saying that, but we've all heard those complaints about Morrison's work before, right? Sure. So, so yeah. maybe maybe you let Morrison drop these ideas out there and let writers who have a more streamlined approach take them. Sure. And and then I think you have kind of the best of both worlds. You have stuff that's accessible to to readers who don't want to reference 20 year old issues. But you also get ideas that are galaxy brain ideas. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I want the pure, unadulterated Uber Menstrom, but <laughs> uh, but I get what you're saying. I, I'm not I'm not saying that's better than having Morrison write stuff. I just think if Morrison's not going to write stuff. I think it's kind of fun to let Morrison be the idea person for a while. Melt, melt down the word of God and just inject it into my veins. <laughs> but sure. Light Ray it, is. Light Ray is. Anything to else to add to, uh, to this discussion of this issue? No, I can't wait to pick this up and trade, though. <laughs> well, let's, let's hop over to our final book of the week, which is Wonder Woman number 780. This is written by Michael W. Conrad and Becky Cloonan. 
illustrated by Travis Moore and Steve Pugue. Um, so I, this issue is set up to basically bring Wonder Woman back into the current DC universe after six months or so of her being in the sphere of the gods, whatever they called it, doing boring stuff in Asgard. And my beef with this issue is that nothing happens in this issue. Not a single thing happens in this issue. There's a couple of things that are teased, like, oh, there's something happening with Justice League Dark, but go read that someplace else. And Nubia is 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 working on being the queen, but go read that someplace else. Only thing that happens here is it's just a series of vignettes of different people welcoming Wonder Woman back to her to their lives. But we never really get Diana talking about what she learned. We never get Diana doing anything other than just showing up and being herself. And like, there's that really cool scene of her lifting up the boat. And that's fine. That's dandy. Whatever. But I just feel like for an oversized issue that is supposed to be this new jumping on point, there's really I, I can't tell you what the story is going forward. I also really can't tell you if I wasn't reading this. I don't think I have, I would have any interest in going back and reading that stuff. Like this doesn't this doesn't reflect all that well on the old stuff. I just I just felt like this was I understand why you would want to do an issue that would reintroduce Diana. I don't understand why you'd want to do such a nothing issue reintroducing Diana. Yeah, I agree. I I really don't have that much to add unfortunately. Um other than I, I guess to say I I didn't particularly love the Travis Moore art. I usually like Travis Moore. I had the same note, yeah, a bit more. Yeah, this something felt off about this. Um, it was saved by the Bond villain colors, but there's something about the art that it was just a little off to me. Once Steve Pugh took over, that was better. It got a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Pugh's Wonder Woman is definitely Linda Carter, by the way. There's a couple of pages <laughs> where it's so clearly Linda Carter. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I like this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not a story at all. You certainly can't do um, this story every month. Um, certainly not. Um, but I would read this issue a dozen times before I go back and read any of the other since any of the other issues since the Clunan and Conrad run started. Um, yeah, it doesn't tell a story at all, but I, I think a lot of these little vignettes kind of um, reinforced Diana's importance to the people that we see in this story. And I know it's a lot of it is just lip service, but uh, George Perez did the same thing in in his Wonder Woman run. Same thing, uh, you know, Wonder Woman comes back to Washington or Boston. Boston? I think it was Boston, Boston. at the time. It was Boston, yeah. Yes. yeah, it was Boston at the time. I always do that. Um, I, I, I do know what I'm talking about. I just, <laughs> my, my mouth is faster than my brain sometimes. Um, but yeah, getting, getting redo, uh, reintroduced to her friends there and you know, it's a very similar feel to to an issue from Perez's run. Um, I didn't have any problems with the art either. I I, I don't I don't really see what's discount uh, Travis Moore about it. 
Um, I agree. The puke stuff is really nice though. Um, and yeah, I mean, what more can I say about it? Um, it, 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 yeah, it sets up whatever the next thing is, but not, you're right, Brian, not in any meaningful way. Um, actually you could almost use this issue as a jumping off or jumping on point. You That's could say true, like, yes. Oh, Oh, Diana's Diana's back. Uh, and I hope the next, whoever writes her next is something I'm more interested in, but well, you know, there's one other thing I want, I think is important to discuss with this is that everyone is treating her like she's been gone for so long. And like, I, I know that comic books do not operate in real world time. But usually comics operate in less real world time. Like usually it's not supposed to be a year from Action Comics 1 to Action Comics 13. Mm -hmm. And this makes it feel like Wonder Woman was gone for so long, but she wasn't. To me, this homecoming feels incredibly premature. And that's part of why I dislike this issue so much, because it wasn't that long ago I was reading Diana stories that were set on Earth. To make me really miss her, she needed to be gone longer and she wasn't. Well, and I even well, felt like hardly like most people other than like Steve Trevor freaking out, like most people are just like, oh, look, you're back. It's like she just like got back from a long holiday or trip or something, you know, which I mean, superhero comics, people come back from the dead all the time. So maybe it's it's that. But I, I did think like some of the like, especially with like Clark and Bruce, they were just like, oh, hey, when did you get in? <laughs> that, that's why I liked it, because like because it is true like superheroes come back all the time it's just like it's just like uh clark going away to space now that all the everybody back on earth is saying well clark will come back <laughs> you know like he's not gonna die on war world you know um, except for john who's saying he knows the future and he never comes back yeah but you know he will we know he will <laughs> and i think i think part of this the problem with this issue such that there is one is you're right brian it doesn't in comics verse time, it doesn't feel like it's that long that she's been gone. In reality, it feels like a lot less because she hasn't been gone from our, like we've been reading a Wonder Woman book monthly or, or even more frequently than that, really. Um, she's never been gone from our lives. It's not like when, uh, it's not like when Clark died and he was gone for a while, right? Like, there just wasn't a book with Clark Kent, uh, not an ongoing book with Clark Kent in it. Right. Um, and so like, yeah, they didn't give the reader time to miss her, but I can suspend my disbelief for whatever the story is supposed to be and enjoy this for what it is. Um, if it was I, better, I could do the same thing. Yeah. You, I mean, you make good points, but um I just think the the uh, Im traveling immortal Wonder Woman traveling through uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla or wherever she was um, was j just became like dreadfully boring to me. And um, a, a, a new jumping on point in status quo might might do this book good. So I'm excited about that, too. Um, I guess that colors this issue is more favorable to me on those grounds. That's fair. Yeah, that is fair. All right. A am I being uh, am I being incorrect to pre presume Vince that you don't have the uh, books for next week ready yet? 
Yeah, you know, it's really hard when when we don't have the next weeks in our um, in our box yet because again, like comic list is so unreliable. But I okay, I think I have it now. I just stalled for time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, ten nineteen, the week of ten nineteen, right? Correct. Aquaman: The Becoming number two, Batman one fifteen, uh, Batman Catwoman number eight um batman secret files peacekeeper one number one um please tell me we're not reading that Fugit- um, uh, fear state tie-ins baby yeah. uh batman the long halloween special number one we'll talk about that we are we are definitely reading that uh black manta 2 catwoman 36 catwoman lonely city number oh baby that's the gobble cliff chang cliff yes. chang absolutely um Flash 775, Green Lantern 7, Justice League 69. There's too many books now, you guys. (laughs) Uh, Legends of the Dark Knight 6. Is that a digital thing? Is that? Yeah. Uh, Nightwing 85, Nubia and the Amazons number one. That was supposed to be earlier, but that got moved. Mm -hmm. Refrigerator Full of Heads number one. I don't know if we'll be reading that. Shazam number four, Static Shock number four, or Static, I guess um suicide squad number eight suicide squad king shark number two superman son of kal-el four teen titans academy seven wonder girl four maybe (laughs) that's it but that's a lot that is a lot that is a lot (sighs) they're 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 publishing too many comics you guys (laughs) it's back it's bad again (laughs) If you I think want some more... of those have actually already been delayed, even maybe. Yeah, I, maybe I even, even, so, even even. Um, well, until then, if you want to get in touch with two thirds of us, we are on Twitter. I am at Brian needs an app. I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is scrambling for a better way to look up next week's books than what he has currently. <laughs> I did I, pretty good this week. You did great. You, <laughs> you did, did great, sweetie. Don't worry. <laughs> and uh, if you want more of us, go to dc3cast.com. Uh, I, I'm going to say this for our listeners. Vince will be recapping SNL every week <laughs> on our Patreon, because why not? With and, musical guests. Yeah. I, I almost called it end musical guest, the show, but nobody would get that reference but you and me. So No, yeah. Um, so, end yeah. musical guest. Halsey. <laughs> yeah, you wish. <laughs> every, every week will be Halsey for you if you uh, if you were in charge. He is this coming weekend. I know. There I you know. go. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Patreon. Bye. This coming weekend. Oh, Zach from all the way downtown. Yeah, I, I didn't think you were going with Scooby-Doo there. I thought you were going... Uh... Scooby doesn't do. Yeah, they should call the show Velma. Velma.